So, Rachel. Yeah? After dropping off some colonists in a nearby system, the crew visits a world of beautifully healthy and tanned human-looking people. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like the apple. Remember that one? Yes, I do, of course. They'll be innocent yet alluring, and they'll be worshipping and feeding people to a paper mache god. Oh, okay. Or they're not really beautiful. They've made some dodgy deal to look that way, a la Vina in the cage. All right, sure, okay. Troy will be vaguely helpful in untangling this. Riker and Yar will be the sex objects. Data and Jordy will have a funny subplot. (laughs) It sounds like an episode of Next Gen to me. <laughs> Rachel watches Star Trek. Captain's log, stardate 41255.6. After delivering a party of Earth colonists to the Stranad solar system, we have discovered another Class M planet in the adjoining Rubicon star system. We are now in orbit there, having determined it to be inhabited as well as unusually lovely. My first officer has taken an away team down to make contact, and they are in the process of returning to the ship. Welcome to Rachel Watches Star Trek. I'm Rachel Lackey. And I am your humble servant, Chris Lackey. (laughs) Get up off the floor, Chris. Oh, okay. Uh, Not with your knees. Am I? (laughs) 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 Oh, boy. Do you want it to be called Rachel and Chris Watch Star Trek? No. No? No, not at all. (laughs) I'm quite content in the position where I am. You're doing a lot of bowing and scraping lately. Well, sometimes in life you gotta bow and scrape a bit, and That's right. other times you get exalted up on the shoulders of the crowd. I don't yeah. know where I'm going with this. Yeah. <laughs> this week we are tackling an episode called Justice. 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 <laughs> that, oh, great. That is a that is a pretty deep cut yeah. reference. <laughs> To an episode of Brass Eye, I believe, right? The day to day, I oh, think. Oh, the day to day. Yeah, that's yeah. what it is. Oh, brilliant satire show in the nineties. They had a reanimated corpse that they were using to press the button on the electric chair, as I recall. And it had three different voice settings that would all say justice. <laughs> One of them was Louis Armstrong. <laughs> yes. <laughs> It was also Martin Sheen, would it have been? Yes, I don't know. Maybe? It's been a while since I've seen that one. This episode was directed by James L. Conway, written by John D.F. Black, under the name Warley Thorne. Oh, that's not a good sign, is it? A pen name? It's never a good sign, but I think that's pretty common in this first season because writers would turn in scripts and then they would get totally rewritten. Yes. Yeah. Might as well have the pen name Schmeen Schmoddenberry. <laughs> we begin with Riker talking up a beautiful and sexy Class M planet, Rubicon 3. Q song! Ooh, I can't believe it, we've found an Earth-like planet. I'm aching for answers, I'm peeing my pants. Let's go and learn everything about it! Oh, wow, we heard that. Yeah. In a while. You look haunted. Riker reports that the aliens, called Edo, look like humans. The place is stunning and everyone loves doing it at the drop of a hat. Any hat, says Yah. Edo, because it sounds like Eden. Oh, all right, yeah. yeah. Of course it does, yeah. Inconsolably thirsty crusher prescribed shore leave <laughs> for everyone. <laughs> You know, obviously they need shore leave because they don't have any form of recreation like a holodeck no, or anything right. like that. They need fresh air and open spaces. Yeah. 
Yar gives them a briefing, normal, straightforward laws and customs there, nothing to know, really. Yeah, the usual Starfleet sloppiness. She's missing some pretty crucial information here, as we will soon see. But at least Picard is smart about this, and he approves only a small group to beam down there first. Mm -hmm. But he assigns Wesley to go down there and evaluate it as a place for young people to relax. (laughs) When are we going to see how bad Picard is with kids? Yeah, that was an instance of telling, not showing, and now we're showing him overcoming the thing that we were told about. (laughs) But then again, he is sending a kid down to evaluate an oversexed orgy planet. (laughs) Where everyone has sex at the drop of a hat. Boy, that's weird. Yeah, maybe get the adults to check it out first. I wouldn't trust Riker and, well, you'd think Yara would do a thorough check out wouldn't you yeah yeah they seem to have checked it out and i guess they approve it data reports something in orbit yet nothing on the view screen could be a cause for calling off the landing party could be but it's not nope so Riker, yar wharf troy and wesley beam down to the lush manicured planet with blonde white tanned people jogging around wearing napkins (laughs) the men all have their own hairdos but the women in a reversal of the apple have ridiculous $5 curly wigs on, athletic bodies, barely covered in pieces of plain fabric and little nude canvas shoes. Chakota.net calls them nauseatingly beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> These scripts hardly ever put the writer's opinion in, but oh, I love right, it when yeah. they do. Looking through the eyes of somebody who's becoming hyper aware of racism, mm-hmm. obviously what's going on in the world right now, I do wonder if this was another... Fail fail in casting like we want to have the idealized sexual identity of a people we want these people to be super sexy so we're going to make them blonde white people Mm. good point we could say yes in star trek they always have a homogenous alien race they all have the same skin color hair color they all look the same Mm. but did they really need to do that yeah obviously at the time it probably wasn't noticed but now seeing that institutionalized racism that is in there it's that subtle type of thing that happens they're not presenting people of color as athletic attractive sexual objects or people to love or well they're all blonde they're all uh Yeah, they're not even giving the brunettes any love. I love my brunette. And also people of different physical types. It's a little off-putting in a way. A man and a woman jog up, wish them health and happiness, and the hugging commences. Riven, one of the leaders, a gorgeous woman in a silly wig, hugs Riker like they're in love, and he hugs her just as passionately back. He loves it. Mm. Troy gets her neck kissed by the guy, Leator, and pats his shoulder, smiling awkwardly. (laughs) I'm loving this. (laughs) Troy reports, healthy sensuality. I feel mainly friendship. And she looks at, yeah, happiness. Yeah, because when he moves on to give Yar a hug, she is into it. Oh, yeah. Well, they've met before, so it's a reunion. She's liking it a lot. Mm -hmm. I could really feel those hugs, actually. Yeah. Remember hugging people from outside your household? Yeah. This episode gave me the quarantine feels. People jogging around together in the outdoors and then warmly embracing (laughs) each other. (laughs) It got to me. Oh, well, yeah. I'm a man, so I don't really hug people. Oh, sure. Then Riven welcomes Worf, who allows her to give him a hug. She -hmm. approaches Wesley, unsure of how their customs for young ones regard love and affection. He says, whatever you usually do, I guess. (laughs) So she gives him a brief hug. 
not creepy. No. No, it's okay. Yeah, I think they did a good job with it. Yeah. It's like when our babysitter Amber used to come over with her mum and dad who we're friends with. And I'd give them a hug and then think, well, I don't want to leave her out, but then I don't want her to feel like she has to hug me. So yeah. <laughs> give her a bit of a hug, but yeah. you don't like make full body contact. Yeah, no, just kind of shoulder hug, <laughs> yeah. gentle pat on the shoulder. Yeah, Because yeah. she's our friend too, but yes. she's a teenager. So yeah, yeah it's, yeah, it's strange territory. I thought Riven was respectful to Wesley. Oh, there. yeah, yeah. yeah. So Riker gets to business. There are others who would like to visit here if you would give us a limit on the number. Whatever pleases you. We can discuss it at the council chambers. Shall we go there now or remain and play? Play? I'd love. Unless you don't enjoy that. Perhaps you do. And you. Yes, I can see that you do. Maybe I should just go on ahead. Oh, this is unfair to him. We'll go on to the council chambers. You'll find young people your age there. Well, I can't make any promises. <laughs> you don't have to. Our rules are simple. No one does anything uncomfortable to them. Come, our people will want to know you. This is my favourite part of the episode. There's so much to love about it. Uh -huh. The way that she is super into war. Yeah. I'll take this big one or something. <laughs> and then Leita, the guy, can tell how much Troy is into this whole idea of love. I can see you do. <laughs> you want to play at love. Oh. And then I really enjoyed how awkward Wesley's getting as they're all kind of trying to pair off and talk about adult love. And he's like, maybe I should get out of here. <laughs> that was a laugh out loud moment. Yeah. yeah, that was good. But why does he say, I'm not going to promise anything when they say you can go and play with some of the kids? Oh, just that maybe he's not necessarily going to be up for whatever they're up for. Okay. Oh, right. Yeah. That's why they say it's all consent yeah. based. Yeah. yeah, exactly. By the way, this location was right under a flight path. There were so many planes that they never yelled cut. They just did the whole thing over in ADR. But they liked the location so much, they used it in several episodes. So the yeah. cast started to refer to it as their version of Vasquez Rocks. Yeah. Yeah. They so. do use it a lot. Yeah. <laughs> if you're doing another calendar, Rafe, here's oh, the location. There you go. And then they asked them to run to the council chamber. Do you run? Sure we can, says Wesley. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you don't have to ask him twice. And he goes and shows off his appalling trousers. Wow. On one of the male Edos, there's some male camel toe going on. And it's pretty exciting. I've never seen that before. Not sexually exciting. No, no, Just no. Just new. Just new, yeah. So I presume one testicle on either side. I guess. And then the... And then you said you have to pick a lane for the, <laughs> for the penis. <laughs> that was not in evidence. Yeah. I guess so. Pick a lane or maybe it goes <laughs> upwards. I'm not yes. sure. So they draw into the chambers, passing other joggers, wishing each other health and happiness. So far, so great. Mm -hmm. Three children <laughs> agree to take wesley out for play the girl she seems young i could buy her being a teenager yeah one of the guys probably late teens maybe early 20s mm. but the third guy <laughs> is well into his 50s <laughs> he's not his 50s <laughs> i mean he, is he just the one guy they had who could walk on his hands and he happens to be in his 30s? I, full hairy chair. Oh my gosh. They referred to them as children. <laughs> and this guy is, if not in his 30s, in his late 20s. Yeah. Is Wesley or is at least Will Wheaton, is he 15 in this? Yeah. I don't know what the character's supposed to be. He seems yeah. more 12 or something, but... Yeah, I think he is older than he appears to be. I think he's like 15 or 16. Yeah, so I think there's quite a loose definition of children in general in Next Gen. I had a talk with my parents and I think my 
father said that. Patrick Stewart was 47 when this was shot. Oh, right. Oh. Which is my age. Oh, right. And that the character of Picard was actually in his 50s. Did he already have white hair anyway? Yeah, I think that's just how he looked. Yeah. He kept it real tight, though, didn't he? His real. hair? No. <laughs> His body, his oh, face, oh, you know. right, right, yeah. It's only the hair that makes him look in his 40s or 50s. Yeah. So meanwhile, on the ship, Data has determined that one of the internal systems are at fault. The thing in orbit appears to be some sort of shadow, like something that is neither in nor out of their dimension. He hails it, and it partially appears, some kind of ship or space station. They send back a message, stand by. Then a bubble heads their way through the corridor and up to the bridge. It moves to Picard, and then it booms with speech. The ship shakes violently. Wow, fantastic action. I thought to myself, good job, director. This is a good episode. Yeah. I liked it. And I always like a bubble because it reminds me of the Wizard of Oz. The good witch coming, you know. <laughs> and we get this. State the purpose of your visit here. We have sent down what we call an away team to make peaceful contact here. Do you plan to leave life forms here? No. We are merely visiting here. But you did more at the world you just left. Why have you left your own life forms there? The colony we just planted, sir. We found that world uninhabited. The life forms we left there had... had sought the challenge, at least... That is the basic reason, had sought the challenge of creating a new lifestyle, a new society there. Life on our world is driven to protect itself by seeding itself as widely as possible. Do not interfere with my children below. Data is awestruck. It's somehow asking him to share information with it. It attaches to Data's head and he falls backwards stiffly. High five to the stunt people. Yeah. Ooh, that, that looks painful. Did not look like they felt good. Down on the planet, a teenager shows off to Wesley that he can walk on his hands. And boy, is he good at it. Yeah, he is. Oh, guy, he's doing miles of that stuff. Mm. And Wesley does a double cartwheel and round off, which is less impressive. Sure. Then creepy Riker is trying to get Worf to have sex. Yeah. Worf says, I'm a fighter, not a lover. <laughs> And that also they'd be too fragile for how I do it. Yeah, he'd bite the face off or rip him from root to toot. So he's giving it a pass. And then Riker says, huh, you're bragging. No, he says, if I didn't know you any better, I'd think you were bragging. Oh, God, Riker, that's so creepy. <laughs> it's so creepy. He's saying I'm restraining myself because I would physically hurt these women. <laughs> <laughs> and Riker says, oh, you're bragging. Uh. Riker can't contact the Enterprise, so they, he decides that to get everybody back together. When Yar says, check this out, they have no crime. Sounds great, right? <laughs> they used to have lots of disorder, but these days, all they have need for are these mediators who select one area at a time, which is unknown. You don't know what area mm -hmm. it's, is being monitored. And any infractions within the punishment zone is subject to punishment. And there's one form of punishment, death. Oh, it was going so well. <laughs> Yah, in particular, is horrified to learn that detail. She realizes how terrible her briefing was, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> the Edos say, it works great. No one breaks any rules. Oh, dear. We better find Wesley. Oh, boy. They find him at the Huntington Library in Pasadena. <laughs> That's the set, anyway. Playing some kind of ball game. 
which is just throwing a ball back and forth. As they run. Yeah, it's very bizarre. He goes along and ends up falling into a low greenhouse as a girl shouts, no, you can't harm the flowers. Here come the mediators. Super bad luck, Wes. Two men, very calm. They're sorry, but this is the law. Wesley keeps saying, it's okay, I'm fine. The children try to cover for him and clearly disturbed that he will be killed. But of course, the law is the law. It takes him so long to say sorry for the damage he's done. And what does that say about his upbringing? Oh, <laughs> like Beverly. He's trashed this greenhouse, falling into it for no reason. And he's just trying to reassure everybody that he's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Bev. Well, maybe in that future, property is not a big deal. Mm, yeah. You know, like and that. people's well-being is more important. So yeah. like, if you bust something, you're just like, oh, who cares if things busted? We can fix that. <laughs> Fixed. <laughs> yes they've got transporter technology very so. topical though also true mm. the children try to cover for him but clearly they're disturbed that he is going to be killed but of course the law is the law one of the mediators raises a syringe to wesley and Riker knocks him down yes i like you Riker. that's one good thing you've done there you go the mediators are confused at this but lucky for Riker and the plot it's no longer a punishment zone so only wes is in trouble on the ship, the bubble heads out, leaving Data unconscious. Communication is restored and Picard beams down to the council chamber. Everyone is very reasonable and calm. Wesley is being safely held. We have to maintain our laws, but we promise we won't kill him until sundown. So Picard then throws the concept that humans no longer have capital punishment. Instead, they detect the seed of criminal behavior. Yeah, which we've kind of had before. Yeah. Although they had the death penalty in the menagerie, didn't they? Yeah. Well, it's 70 years later. Yes, it's 70 years <laughs> oh, that's not yeah. part of the canon. Will Wheaton calls this part preachy in Memories of the Future. Mm. I didn't mind it. No, I didn't. Leita asks, why don't you just use your power to rescue him? We could record him as a convicted criminal who's escaped our backward little world. Picard says, there's only one problem with that. The Prime Directive! Q song! I want to take my best friend to pre-warpeth Even though he's an alien I like having him around Just put him in a hat I got to use this accent, sweetheart I want to phaser a whole block Leave some tech and cut the Federation in But there's that voice From my distant memory until sundown and presumably they found out when that is they decide to talk about the thing in orbit it's their god of course the Edo say both here and in another place with great powers data wants to speak to picard so he beams himself troy and ribbon who agrees up to the ship i really enjoyed brenda back's performance as ribbon she's got a Charlize theron thing going on yeah she played Lana Turner in L.A. Confidential. All right. She's in Hot Shots Part 2, spoofing <laughs> Sharon Stone in Basic Instinct, among other credits. Heartfelt yet subtle performance. Yeah, 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 she's good. When Riven sees the thing in orbit, she kneels and bows down before it immediately, overcome and scared. Troy comforts her and encourages her to explain how she knows it's a god. She's seen it before. Suddenly, the thing thunders for Picard to return its child and begins moving closer to the Enterprise. Oh, dear. It was nice to see Troy being comforting there. 
even though it was to get information out of her. <laughs> Picard thinks fast and attaches his comm badge to Riven and has her beamed back to the planet's surface. The object backs off. I'm glad you didn't need a series of meetings for that one, Picard. <laughs> like last week. Well done. Data reports to Picard that it's not one entity, it's many. They know the Edo worship them, but think it's quite expected and harmless at, at the present Edo stage of evolution. Hmm. They are interdimensional and they consider the entire star cluster to be theirs. So they weren't fans of the Federation colonizing one of their planets. Goodness me. They're cheeky, aren't they? Well, why didn't they communicate? <laughs> why didn't they say, hey, this is our space? Yeah. We've got a universal translator. They're able to say stand by, so why don't they just say yeah. back off? Yeah. Data then goes off on one and Picard tells them to stop rambling. Meanwhile, poor mummy Crusher is quietly freaking out. Sure, of course. Yeah. Data thinks the beings may be observing and that they know about the Prime Directive from Data's records, so they may not be impressed to see them break it. They had also warned Picard not to interfere with their children below. Crush has been waiting this whole time for someone to tell her what the hell's going on and to reassure her that there's a plan for Wesley. Now where's Troy? <laughs> yeah, come on. <laughs> yeah, get this woman a hug. <laughs> Data starts banging on about motherhood then and she tells him to shut up and leaves. Hmm, maybe I do babble, he says. Mm -hmm. Picard asks for more information from Data. Poor little Data asks Picard how he wants him to communicate. And Picard says, sorry, I said you babble. You see things in a way that we do not, but as they truly are. Oh, that's a bit quirky, isn't it? It is. To realise he's said something insensitive and yeah. apologise. But Data points out, he goes, you know, it doesn't bother me. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have feelings. I don't care. Picard is torn between the letter of the law and the knowledge that the Prime Directive never intended to cover a circumstance like this. Hmm. As Wheaton says in his book, it's not the pike, one beep for yes, two beeps for no, court-martial that he should worry about if he breaks the Prime Directive. It's the things out there and how they might react to breaking the Prime Directive. Mm -hmm. Taking Wesley could endanger a thousand plus lives on the ship. Is one life more important than a thousand, asks Data? Perhaps in an echo of the needs of the many, maybe? Mm -hmm. Although Picard just snaps back, I won't solve this with maths. So Data wonders if the beings used to have physical form and share some of the Federation's values. Picard can't understand why they would feel obliged to protect the Edo. Maybe it's like the Federation and the Edo are colonists, says Data. Hmm, that's good for concepts, mm. isn't it? Picard beams down with Crusher just before sundown and says he will not allow them to execute Wesley. He promised this when Crusher was crying, so he's stuck with that decision now. <laughs> <laughs> Is he willing to risk the whole ship, though? Where are Riker and Yar now? They ballsed this up right and proper, didn't they? And now they're nowhere to be seen. <laughs> or maybe they are, and I forgot they were there. The mediators hate Picard's idea, scared it will unsettle their society to the way they were before. Risking death for all or punishment from the Federation when he returns, he gives the order to beam up but nothing happens. Uh-oh. The Edo feel vindicated. I don't know how to communicate this, or even if it is possible. But the question of justice has concerned me greatly of late. And I say to any creature who may be listening, there can be no justice so long as laws are absolute. Even life itself is an exercise in exceptions. When has justice ever been as simple as a rule book? Seems the Edo Lord agrees with you, number one. And after his little speech, the transporters work. Yeah, all right. Speeches to change the way the plot is moving. <laughs> is that good? A little it's tidy right. of a wrap up there, but sure. Would have preferred a song. This is from Will Wheaton's Memories of the Future. When they arrive back on the Enterprise, everything returns to normal. 
Almost. They're a cargo base full of hats and nobody knows what to do with them. Because <laughs> everyone was going to have sex at the drop of a hat, so yeah. they brought loads of hats. <laughs> they took it quite literally. Oh, Will. Oh, my. Picard asks the space station, do you want us to move the colonists? And it doesn't respond. And then he goes, give us some kind of sign if you want us to move the colonists. And then it disappears. And he goes, is that a sign? Yeah. I guess so. I guess that was it. Agreeing to the contract there. It's pretty crappy of them, I have to say. Just say yes or no. Oh. <laughs> Why are you being ambiguous about it? Uh, so tedious. We end with this. I was hoping we might learn more about it. But since we can't, take us out of here, number one. Gladly, sir. That was a bit rushed. Yeah. At least I never checked how long was left this time, though. Oh, well, that is a good point. Yeah, it was very well paced. A lot happens and there's a lot to think about. So uh, let's get into concepts. Writer John D.F. Black envisaged a more complex story, more like the TOS episode where they gave guns to one side of the conflict. Can you remember? I do remember. That's with the little fuzzy vests, you know, the, yeah. the orange fuzzy vest lady. Yeah. Yeah. She's great. That was a sexy one. <laughs> Picard refuses to back up the rebels in that one, trying to overthrow the totalitarian regime, but the rebels gain power anyway and set up their own totalitarian regime. Mm. Picard muses on their right to decide their own justice without interference, as he does in this episode. Makes you think this episode, doesn't it? Yeah. It, About culture, what the Federation's values are, yeah. how much you can tolerate of a culture whose morals you don't agree with. Yeah. In this case, they don't have to stick around and tolerate or work out how to live together. No. No, That what they're doing, though, is they're setting a precedent that is, to this culture, might be something like, oh, if you're really powerful, you don't have to follow the rules. Mm. The whole Prime Directive is so darn woolly. Oh, yeah. They've been banging on about it all episode. But <laughs> by getting in touch with them in the first place, and certainly by bringing her up to their ship for a little look around and look yeah. at her god from that perspective, they've already broken it. I'm a little confused what's going on with these people. They don't seem to be spacefaring, let alone have warp technology. No way. Because that's part of being able to make first contact with them is that they have warp technology. But yeah. if they don't have warp technology, what are they doing even talking to them? Well, yeah, they've got this being protecting them, which perhaps does have warp technology, but they think it's a god. But the Federation didn't even know that was there. No. That's completely new to them. So yeah. they just thought there were these horny people. Yeah, let's rock up and have a bit of shore leave. Maybe this is before they really established what the Prime Directive was about mm. and about keeping secret and all of those things. I'm not really sure. It, it just I'm going to go back and here point out some of the, the rules again. On the Prime Directive, it's about non-interference with other cultures and civilizations. At its core was the philo philosophical concept that personnel should refrain from interfering with the natural, unassisted development of societies, even if such interference was well-intended. As you recall from Bread and Circuses and First Contact, they are not allowed to provide knowledge of other inhabited worlds, mm. even if individuals or governments in that society were already aware of such to people who had not started using warp technology. Because it's going to throw off their whole natural evolution as a culture, as a species. Yeah. Or could. So even in Bread and Circuses, they had this stuff. Man, I... Mm. I'm... Uh, I don't know about yeah, it. Yeah, always, it always has been willy-nilly, but 70 years on, I thought they would have got it sorted out. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess that's... 
the point of the episode is that if you make a law, laws are not absolute. There's going to be exceptions. Mm-hmm. Was Picard supposed to let poor little Wesley just die to yeah. prove a point? Yeah, that's one of the speeches he rails against having laws as absolutes yeah. without exceptions. That's providing precedence for a change yeah. in the law. That's all, that's all lawyers do, isn't it? Yeah, I'm a little confused as well, too, about the whole idea of the Prime Directive, which is... Yeah, we, we talked about this, but the fact that they're even there, that having a philosophical conversation with a people or even an alien, like just one alien, could change the whole course of their growth and yeah. civilization. They just use it as it conveniences the plot. Yes. Yeah. You're bringing it home. Yeah. That's the, it's just a TV show. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't mind, actually, though. I still enjoyed it. No, no, it was it was definitely good and thought provoking. And I mean, we're deep diving it here like really getting into the weeds well i mean just the fact if you sat down and watched this episode i think it's fine on its own in that in that regard and and it's very good with its concepts another little bit wheaton (laughs) suggested that the female leader had a soft and caring god's concept while the male had a fire and brimstone one and that's certainly something that we can relate to religions on earth yeah sure religions are even within a religion or even a a sect of a religion people have varying religious beliefs yeah how they interpret the personality of their god or what that god promises to them yeah or or their holy or their holy texts as well what do you give it i'll give it an eight eight out of ten yeah it's good it's good concepts this is good star trek meaty stuff or synthetic meaty stuff well yeah. yeah keep it veg (laughs) <laughs> it's made us think, hasn't it? I'm going 7.5. I agree. Entertainment. Engage. Very enjoyable. What a massive breath of fresh air this episode was after the last one in particular. Mm-hmm. As I said, it was like a post-quarantine fantasy, which was quite moving, actually, for <laughs> me. <laughs> Apparently there was a guitar in this, in one of the kind of going past people kissing each other and having a lovely time, oh. which looks like Adam's in the way to Eden. So that makes me feel ripped off that I didn't get any songs. Oh, yeah. yeah this was the first script to be commissioned after the pilot, and it shared with the pilot Crusher's dodgy ADR, even though it was filmed eighth. Oh, wow. Yeah. Gosh, that's quite rough. Bad. But I still enjoyed it a lot, so I'm giving it 8 out of 10. Oh, 8 out of 10? Yeah. I wouldn't give it that much. I would say 7 out of 10 for Yeah, me. these are good scores. Hey, next gen. Yeah. Yeah. Beat that. Sexiness. Oh, God, would I love to show you. <laughs> Sexiness. <laughs> 4 out of 5, maybe even 4.5. 4.5. Yeah, we're not going to get much sexier than this, are we? Well... I'm going to yeah, go four. Yeah, four sounds about right. There was, And it seemed to be handled well, the sexuality, and everything was consensual. Yes. People were open-minded. It was cool. We learned a bit more about Worf. Yes. And his sexy times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. We saw people passion on each other. That's true. All there. So, your guesses... Not bad. Mm. It was quite like the apple. They were innocent yet alluring, but they did really look like that. So that part was wrong. They didn't feed people to a paper mache god, but they did have a god that they were controlled by, were they? I don't know, really. Influenced by? God didn't seem to really do much of anything, did it? No, just protective of them. From the outside. I said Troy will be vaguely helpful in untangling this. Was she? Mm, Not really. Not much. Riker and Yar will be the sex objects. Well, they got some good hugs in, but that's about all. Yeah. Thankfully, Data and Geordi did not have a funny subplot. Yeah, thank goodness. <laughs> Instead, what makes Data Data was used as part of the plot. 
that was good. Well, with that, I believe we have finished up justice. Justice. <laughs> uh, we have more Next Generation for you next week. I want to thank all of our patrons for supporting the show. Without you, there would be no show. Thank you so much for listening, for choosing this show. I hope you enjoyed it and spread the word. And with that, I'm Chris Lackey. And I'm Rachel Lackey. And you've been listening to... Rachel Watches Star Trek. Rachel watches Star Trek.